You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Olof Kristiansdottir at Tempo.io. But it's interesting that we reached 10,000 customers in 2017. So from 2017 to 2020, we doubled our uh, customer base. And we are back. The SaaS Nordic podcast is here and we are determined to give you exciting episodes all through 2021. We want to put the spotlight on all the fantastic SaaS companies we have here in the Nordics. We want to learn even more. I think um, in the end of last year, we we got to learn a lot more about things like uh, product-led growth, uh, content-driven SaaS. We looked into marketing and sales and positioning and a lot of other stuff. And there is so much more to explore. And um, I hope you want to do that with us. Uh, Please reach out if you have any topics or any guests that you would like to suggest on the show. We want to do this to a valuable resource for everyone within the SaaS industry in the Nordics. Exactly. And to make it an even more valuable resource to all of us, please continue sharing the content, share the podcast to your friends, and that would be really helpful for for all of us. But without further ado, let's jump into the next episode. Thomas, would you be so kind and introduce the next guest and episode? Today, we're going to talk about what it's like to be focused on selling your software within another ecosystem. So Tempo has been really successful with their solution within the Atlassian Jira ecosystem. And we're going to talk to Olaf Christiansdottir that will tell us more about that. Today, we are very happy to have our first guest outside Sweden from Iceland. So a big welcome to you, Olaf Christiansdottir from Tempo. Thank you so much. I'm uh, very happy to be here. And we are so happy to have you here. So how was your holiday break? Oh, fantastic. Really, really good. Very hard to come back, but uh, it was worth it. Are there any particular uh, Icelandic holiday traditions that we should know of? I know you guys have a bunch of different stuff for some of the other holidays, but anything special for the Christmas holidays? How much time do you have? We're very weird. <laughs> we have the Christmas cat that eats you if you don't get new clothes for Christmas. Uh, we have the 13 Santa Clauses that uh, will uh, come and steal your food and leave little presents for kids. And all the kids put a, a shoe into the window so that they can, the Santa Claus can put a little gift in there. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and you're not messing with us. We can't validate it now. <laughs> we have to ninja Google this. <laughs> it's real. A, a little bit morbid, I might say. You know, the, the one, the cat will eat you. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is very morbid. I think it was meant to keep people to behave and children to behave well, like back in the day. Um, and but it's, yeah, it's very morbid. That's why we have such a dark humor too. I feel that that's an, this is a podcast of its own. Yes. So, <laughs> Iceland, Icelandic Christmas tradition, upcoming episode sometimes in the future. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And otherwise, what's the, what's the COVID situation like in Iceland for the moment? I would describe it as all right. It could be worse. Okay. It, we have a few infections. Um, we had, it was pretty bad last fall, but they've managed to kind of settled it but it's still here vaccination have started thankfully but it will take some time still before it's normal i'm in my home office um and 
the Reykjavik office is open, but only a handful of people can be there at a time. So I'm just at home. Okay, yeah. And uh, yeah, right now we have a 50% uh, COVID situation in the podcast, so, but we're managing right Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I promise I will behave and you guys are on a safe distance, so, so don't worry. Hang in there, Daniel. It's true. All right, yeah. But, yeah. but cool. Uh, and um, But Olaf, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself as well before we go into the topic of the day. Yes. So I'm the director of marketing here at Tempo. It's an Icelandic software company that was started in 2008. I've been in the SaaS business for almost yeah, more than 10 years now. Uh, didn't really mean to land there, but when I graduated in 2008, the economy collapsed. And so finding work well, took some time and I was really trying not to work in business, uh, but I landed a job at a, a great software company. I really fell in love with the people, the industry and the challenges that came with it. So uh, I'm still here. Uh, but I've been with Tempo for four and a half years now. And uh, it's a global company. We have offices here in Iceland and as well as in Canada and people working in other countries as well. But I've always been uh, in the Reykjavik office. And w- what could you tell us about the Icelandic software industry and startup scene? Uh, what's it like? I think it's very, very active. Yeah. There's a lot of companies both uh, in the SaaS B2B, uh, also in like more straight to for consumers or customers. Um, and so it's, I think we have a great opportunity. Uh, internet has always been very, um, what do you say? Like everyone has it. Like it's been very early on that the infrastructure was here. Mm. Um, and we have a great support from the government as well. And it's so easy, like with SaaS, like I work in Reykjavik and, but all my career I've worked for companies that have had customers all over the world. And I think that makes it a lot easier. Um, and we have definitely have the talent and we have the opportunity. And I think what is great, and I think that's a benefit in many of the Nordic countries, is that you have this balance of work and family. Yeah. And, uh, and you can make great, uh, you can make, come up with a great idea and make a great company without sacrificing um, your personal life as well. So I think it's really, really active and we have some really interesting companies here. Mm. Both in, in gaming as well as in more B2B software. Yeah, well, looking forward to dive more into the Icelandic seed and, and uh, explore more exciting companies up there. And we will for sure pick your brain on this as well to find more guests to the show. Please do. Definitely, definitely. Now, talking about Tempo a little bit here, uh, can you tell us briefly what Tempo does and what problem you solve for your customers? Yes. So uh, Tempo is a primarily a time tracking company. Uh, so we help companies keep track of their time and really understanding where they're investing their time. And in addition to that, we help people plan their resources and manage their budgets and budget and finances, all within Atlassian's Jira project management tool. So we allow uh, people that are maybe planning a software project to, on top of uh, managing the project, they can also keep track of how much time did they spend on it, who's going to do it in the future, uh, and then uh, tracking the cost of projects as well. Right. So is it is it predominantly then, in simple terms, of course, uh, a time tracking piece for development resources? I would say, yes. So software and technology uh, teams, yes. And is it always... Uh, sort of in relation to 
Jira or another system, or is it also a standalone product? It is only in relation to other uh, ecosystems or other tools. Um, so our biggest and our our first solution was in Jira, and that is still our biggest business. And we are starting to expand beyond the Atlassian ecosystem. So we have a product in Zendesk, and then we're looking to expand into other um, other tools that might benefit from having a time tracking add-on add-on as well. Okay, so I think this is interesting. I think a lot of uh, a lot of people that. Um think about starting a company they might consider should i sort of piggyback onto another ecosystem that can be profitable if you have a solution that is a good fit or if you have a solution that you already that is standalone but that that could fit good in an ecosystem that that can be a a good opportunity thing and we're going to focus in this episode of what it's like to to um to be focused on uh, having a solution within another platform or ecosystem. So it's going to be interesting to hear your experiences around this. Okay, uh, great. Just before we jump into uh, your story about how you made your journey into the Atlassian platform and how you made that successful, could you just give us a quick update on the size of your business, the amount of customers, if you can share any numbers on... Uh, average recurring revenue, average deal size, that would be great. Yeah, happy to. So we started back in 2007. And at at that time, the team was less than five people. And it was first launched as just an internal solution to solve a problem that our developers had at that time. We now have 120 employees and we are growing uh, with main offices uh, here in Iceland and in Montreal, Canada. Uh, now, back in the day, uh, the team would actually celebrate each and every sale. And I think that's a lot of startup companies. They start that way. Each time you get a customer, you celebrate. That would be impossible right now. Uh, we have grown to over 20,000 customers. Wow. That's a, that's a nice problem to have, not being able to celebrate every deal. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we have consistently grown. We've been very, very lucky uh, we've been part of the Atlassian uh, ecosystem and their Jira solution since 2007. And as they have grown, we have grown as well. So our ARR, for example, has grown consistently and increased each year. Um, and the average deal size has grown as well. We do have a significant number of small licenses, uh, but we have a large portion as well for um, large teams within enterprise um, companies. And we have customers that people might be familiar with. We have like some of the um, automated companies like Volkswagen and BMW. Uh, we have Oracle, we have Disney, we have Boeing. We have a lot of uh, large companies that people recognize that are um, thankfully our customers. Uh, and we've grown through some acquisitions as well. So in 2014, we acquired a company that... Um, allowed us to add the financial tracking product to our solution offering. Okay. And in 2020, we reached 20,000 customers, and that was in part through an acquisition as well, where we acquired another time tracking solution within the Atlassian ecosystem. But it's interesting that we reached 10,000 customers in 2017. So from 2017 to 2020, we doubled our uh, customer base. Uh, so it's a very exciting time for Temple at the moment. Wow. That's impressive. 10,000 customers in three years, right? Yeah. But when you started in 2007, you said you started developing this because you needed it uh, your, yourself. So you were actually doing other kinds of development then within within your company. And then you found 
this need? Yes, exactly. So um, our mother company is Oracle, who's it's an Icelandic IT service company, and they had a division and a subsidiary that uh, was a web development firm. They developed websites for other companies, and they that team was starting to use Jira as their project management tool. Uh, but they also had a different system for invoicing. And they needed to track time because they were invoicing their customers and the customers wanted to know, what am I paying for? And being developers, they did not want to do the same thing twice. That is, they did not want to track time in two systems. And tracking time in Jira was horrible and still is. So being developers, they solved the problem for themselves, made their life easier and made a little a snappy little tool um, to allow them to track time easily in Jira and then to integrate that with the invoicing system. So making their life easier and uh, preventing them to ha having to do duplicate work. And when they, um, it was very interesting that they had customers at the time that would complain or they would always kind of send invoices back and be like, it needs to be more accurate, this is too high. Once they started using their own uh, tool to track time and send those reports with the invoices, no complaints, never complained again. And they were even able to increase their um, agreement and their deal size with uh, customers based on accurate, more accurate time tracking data. Okay, so, so initially uh, it was just a tool to help the internal people. There was never a plan to actually go out and sell it, right? Exactly, yeah. It only started internally. But then they figured, like, this is uh, a very cool solution to a problem. And we're not the only ones that have this problem. And they figured other people will benefit as well. And they were right. So they launched um, or started selling the solution in the Jira world. Uh, that was in 2009. And then Atlassian really started to put more focus on their marketplace to allow other app vendors to sell add-ons, or they called it plugins at the time, uh, and to allow vendors to develop and sell plugins that made life in Jira a little bit easier. Um, and it's all down to customization. Like Jira, uh, out of the box, you can customize a million ways, but then it still doesn't maybe always solve the problem exactly in the way that you want it. So having all these app vendors really allows customers to even further customize it by automating things, uh, by adding time tracking data, or a number of different uh, types of solutions to just, yeah, it's to make life easier to allow companies to focus their uh, time on what really matters, uh, not tracking time or logging time into systems, but you know, developing uh, a website that works for their customers or yeah, just to really focus on what matters. So how long time did it take before uh, you made the decision that we want to focus on this as uh, a product of its own or an offering that uh, we want to build the company around? It was fairly quickly, like from 2007 when the first solution is available and then until 2009 when we start selling it on the marketplace, it is really becoming its own team and its own has its own life. Like in 2013, Temple Timesheets is the top grossing uh, add-on on the Atlassian marketplace. So that's four years after it is first available on that market. It is the top grossing add-on. Whoa, that's amazing. 
I was going to say like in 2015, then Tempo is founded as a separate company. So up until that time, it was a team within another uh, company. But in 2015, it was founded as a separate company and separate entity. Okay. But as a company that has a product that lives within another ecosystem and is dependent on it, how does, does this affect you as a company, how you work, the different roles and, um, and so yeah, I mean, the biggest benefit of being in an ecosystem like Atlassian's is that the market is already there. There's a lot of work that you don't have to do. Uh, it's almost like a shortcut. You don't need to build as much infrastructure, for example, for the buying process. Your investment can be low while you're testing the market. Um, Atlassian has developed a great community as well. Um, so you can learn easily from others. They have uh, support for you as well. So they try to make it as easy as they can to allow you to just focus on developing a tool and they'll focus on bringing the market and, and helping you sell the, the product. So there's definitely uh, some benefits of being in an ecosystem. And uh, especially in the beginning, I think it allowed Tempo to focus on um, developing the solution itself uh, instead of uh having to invest a lot in um, our own infrastructure, for example, for a sales team or a marketing team. So you can start small and then grow as the solution grows. Hmm. But I mean, if you're going to decide to create a company around this, you, you need to be pretty sure that um, in this case, Atlassian will not create the exact same solution that yourself are doing. So did you get any guarantees from Atlassian that, I mean, this is a, an open field that, that is yours if you want to pursue it? or When the solution was first out in the marketplace, it was received very well. And I think that was very promising for us. And that allowed us to think, oh, we really have something and we need to build it. Um, there is a risk, of course, always that when you're in an ecosystem and that... Um, like a, a, a big company like Atlassian might see, oh, wait, you know, we can actually do this better. Let's just do it ourselves. But what I think the benefit for Atlassian is that they can focus on their key strengths while they allow the ecosystem to solve the more niche use cases. And I think, for example, for tracking time, that's not a key strength for Atlassian. So I think there was never really a big risk that Atlassian would move into our field and suddenly add, um, a solution that did the same uh, job as our solution. Um, but the risk is maybe more that you don't necessarily have a seat at the table when important decisions are made, S decisions that will impact you. They might impact your technology. It, it might make you have to invest a lot of time in updating your technology because Atlassian has to do it on their end. Yeah. So you're subject to changes that they, they make. The same with like the, the buying process in the web store, like that is in their hands. It's not in your own hands. So you can't control it as much as you would like. You don't have complete control of your data either. Uh, so you have to rely on what Atlassian is ready to give you and, and the uh, effort that they're ready to uh, put into um, sort of allowing you to have access to your own data. Mm. Uh, so there's there's definitely pros and cons. You have to share your revenue, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, I think those are some of the downsides of it. But I, I I don't think we ever had like a written guarantee from Atlassian that they wouldn't move into the time tracking world. 
but I think they saw and they rewarded our success as well. Like they named us the top grossing marketplace add-on. So I think they know the value of the, um, of having this marketplace and ecosystem. And they're, they're not going to break it by moving into that field. What they have done, uh, and I can, there's at least one example from last year's where they have actually acquired uh, app vendors in the ecosystem. And that's how they have um, kind of integrated uh, stuff into their, uh, their own solutions. Right, right. And I think it's a very interesting play, this um, ecosystem play. And, and a little bit like Thomas alluded, there's always the risk of uh, the, the, the ecosystem owner doing this themselves. But in, in your case, not that I'm an expert now in the, the particular field that you guys are doing, but we've been Googling around here a little bit. There are quite a few of, uh, call them, uh, similar apps in the Atlassian App Store. Uh, and I think a lot of people would ask, like, what's the secret here? What makes you guys stand out? Like, what are some of the do's and don'ts? What are the, some of the lessons you guys have learned throughout this exercise? I think luck does play a part uh, in, in a way that we were lucky to be early on, uh, that as the ecosystem and marketplace is starting and starting to grow, we were already there. So we were the first uh, in the market. But the key thing is, of course, to is to solve a problem and do it well. Right. And I think we, because we originally were solving a problem for ourselves, we understand the fundamental problem very well. Mm-hmm. And then as you grow, you have to stick to that. You have to remember where you came from. You have to remember uh, to make a great solution that solves a problem for your customers. And then the beginning we used to just develop whatever customers asked for because we didn't have that many. Um, so now we have evolved and we have an idea portal uh, so people can still submit their ideas and people can vote on their ideas. And we look at all the ideas, especially those that get many votes. Um, but as you develop it as an organization, you have to learn which ideas to move forward with and which ones to politely categorize as to look into in the future. SAS Nordic is growing, and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer community on Slack. My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager, and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate, and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com. We can't wait to have you on board. Another thing that, that we saw when we uh, when we browsed around was that uh, when it came to the marketplace and the store, you were very active uh, when it came to the, the reviews. So basically on any review on your product, you responded. Uh, if it was a positive or a negative uh, review, you, you gave your feedback. So it seems like you work quite actively with the community. Could you tell us a little bit about that and, and what effects you have seen? Yes. And I think as Tempo has grown and the team has grown, it has allowed us to have kind of spread the expertise. So in the beginning, you have a small team where everyone is doing everything. Uh, But now you can have, you have the engineers and the tech team that can focus on developing the product and the platform. Then you have the product team that can focus on the product and the product team used to do some of the marketing because we didn't have a strong marketing team. But now we have more teams that can focus on their expertise and included in that is that we have a team that can focus on the customers 
and their uh, kind of how they experience working with a product uh, and with us. So we have a dedicated support team, of course, and we have a dedicated team for customers. So they might work with larger customers to get them onboarded and, and handle any uh, problems or issues that they encounter. And then we have a team that also focuses on just working with the community, whether it is on their views, for example. And I think it is extremely important to listen to people, like even if they leave a bad review to really kind of acknowledge what they're going through and giving them options of like, here's, for example, the idea portal, you can, you know, we'll add it there or please submit a support ticket. Our support team is happy to help you and go through in detail what uh, what can be better, uh, but also responding to good ones, like really thanking people. Uh, and it is one of the things that I find so good and great about the Atlassian ecosystem. People are very engaged and they're very happy, even with a time tracking solution, like they're really invested. And when we go to live events, like people come by and they've been using Temple for years and they know us and, and I think that's that's what a great ecosystem is about. It's about relationships, about relationship between vendors. You can learn from each other, from a vendor to Atlassian, but of course, most importantly, from uh, us to our customers. If you listen to your customers, then you're golden. Right. And also speaking about uh, the relationship you mentioned here, the relationship between Temple and Atlassian, can you Talk a little bit more about that. How does that look? What does that mean? I'm curious a little bit from a marketing perspective, from a sales perspective. Yeah. Um, so Atlassian is, of course, very large. It's much larger than Temple and probably larger than Temple ever will be. So that can sometimes be a bit of a, um, it can be a challenge to be heard. Um, but what has been improving in the last couple of years is the vendors coming more together as well to build that united stronger voice of highlighting to Atlassian like we're a really important stream of revenue for Atlassian like, don't forget about us like really support us and for them to listen to us just as we listen to our customers right um, so we've been working more on kind of highlighting what benefits we are bringing to Atlassian and and to their customers to have uh, a larger uh, voice to have a seat at the table uh, when important uh, 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 when important decisions are being made. So there it's a I wouldn't say necessarily an uphill battle. Um and it has to be on many levels, I would say. Like when we are working with Atlassian, like we have to work with multiple teams. You have the management team that works with, you know, the management side of Atlassian, but then like our support team to work with the Atlassian support team because sometimes a problem might come up for a customer and it has to be solved partly by us and partly by someone on the Atlassian side. So those teams have to work together. Um, us in marketing, we also have to work with Atlassian marketing team. Um, so we, it would be great to get maybe more opportunities for some cross campaigns. Uh, but in particular, I'm thinking about events. Of course, there are no live events at the moment, but in the past, you know, to really get to know their event team and, and uh, working with them and building these relationships. So it has to be on multiple levels, I would say. It's not enough that it's just our CEO and Atlassian CEO to have uh, a relationship. It's also important to have it on other levels as too, like from marketing to marketing or partner management to partner management and so forth. Yeah. So in your role, do you have like your counterpart on the Atlassian 
side that you work with them? They do have a dedicated team for the marketplace and for the vendors. Um, so uh, we we have a relationship with them and we can always reach out to them as well. And they've, they've uh, built processes as well so that we can submit tickets if we have an issue or something needs to be fixed or we want to raise an idea. Uh, they do have uh, a process for that as well. It, it could be better. Um, and that's, I guess, one of the downsides is that, you know, we can come up with ideas and we can ask them for things, but it's it's always up to Atlassian to decide how much they invest in the marketplace and in its vendors. What, what about uh, day-to-day sales operations? D- does your sales team co-sell together with Atlassian sales team or you run independently and just tap into their existing customer base? How does that work? So we do not work with the Atlassian sales team. However, what is really important to note is that we do have a very strong partner network. So there's a strong network of solution partners that sell solutions from Atlassian, including Jira. And those partners will often be very knowledgeable about all the different add-ons on the marketplace, including Temple. So we have a strong network of partners and they might do what you're describing. Like they might come up with like a package for a customer and say, you need Jira, you need Confluence, then you need Temple and some other apps to really complete your solution. And that's how you will solve the problem that you're having. Okay. So I think that's important to note that we not only are part of a big ecosystem, we have uh, a little partner ecosystem of our own and a strong network of partners and, uh, a lot of our sales go through our partners. Okay. And the so what so even if we don't work with Atlassian on sales deals, of course there a lot of the traffic and awareness of Tempo comes from Atlassian channels. So the marketplace, inside Jira you can also access the marketplace to figure out what apps are available. Um and they might highlight us through their events or online events. So that's really where uh, they help us out. It's to be a very important channel of traffic for us, uh, both in terms of trial and just website visits and, and so forth. You mentioned before the challenge uh, when you're not always at the table when decisions are made that will affect you as a company. And I guess things like um, going from being a, a server-based solution to a cloud solution would have been one of the major things that has happened uh, for you. Uh, since you have been a partner with Atlassian for for many years. So what has that been like for you? And do you get any heads up on major updates that will affect your software? Yes. So Atlassian does do a good job of um, alerting partners and vendors in advance um, to let us know, hey, here's a big change coming up. For example, uh, last fall, they announced that they are going to stop selling their server products in 20. I think they're stopping renewals this year, uh, new sales this year, renewals next year, and then they're stopping all support for server products in 2024. Um, so they were good at kind of uh, letting partners know, and they do have some, um, they have content and they have apps, and they're really trying to make it easy for their customers, of course, to move from server to either cloud or data center. And then to, because they know a a lot of customers of Atlassian, they have some integrations or some add-ons uh, in their solution package. So they know it is important to make it easy for people to not only move their Jira instance, they have to move everything with it. 
So they are putting a lot of effort into helping the vendors there, but you're not necessarily a part of the decision. You're just sort of there for the information. You're like, hey, this is happening. You need to prepare, uh, but you're not a part of the deciding whether to do it or when to do it or how to do it. So you just have to follow along. That's a big challenge for a lot of vendors. We are lucky that we've been on the cloud for a very long time. Uh, so we are very well prepared. Uh, and I don't think this will be an issue for us or our customers. Um, but I think for a lot of vendors, it was it's going to be hard. And they're going to need a lot of support. And the question is, will they get it or not? Will Atlassian be able to do it? Even if they want to, it doesn't always mean that you can. You've obviously had tons of success on the Atlassian platform and ecosystem. Which is the next ecosystem that you guys are entering and why? Yep. So we are focusing on, because Tempo is a time tracking solution provider for tech and software teams. So that's number one to think about go into, we're going into ecosystem that also cater to this group and this audience. Uh, so Microsoft is a, an ecosystem that we are looking into because um, they're one of the biggest ones. They have a developed ecosystem as well. Um, so I think the support and the technology will be there. The challenge will be more maybe on the marketing side and on the sales side. Like how do you increase awareness and and uh, create demand for your product in an ecosystem like that that is already well well established? But if you have uh, a solution that solves a problem, it's much easier. The challenge is to navigate the new marketplace and the new ecosystem. So we were very lucky with Atlassian, uh, and it might be challenging for us to replicate that success because they were a young ecosystem when we joined and we had a chance to grow with them. We were able to start small and then grow the dis business and our team as the ecosystem grew. But if we want to join an established ecosystem like Zendesk or Microsoft, it requires a slightly different strategy and a different approach. Um, so that's where we have to maybe strengthen ourselves. We have belief in our solution. Uh, and then we need to focus on strengthening the almost like the business side of it. Like, How do we learn about the ecosystem? What is different uh, from this ecosystem to the next? And if you're coming into an ecosystem that is already very well established, how do you make noise and let people know about you? Um, and are there other um, other competitors already in the ecosystem? Maybe we stay away from ecosystems that already have a really strong time tra tracking product. So selecting which ecosystems to go into, there's a number of factors that will affect that. Um, our own uh, expertise, um, the level of sophistication of that ecosystem and the marketplace, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of platforms that are starting out with a marketplace and you need a certain level of support. And if they don't have that yet, it might not be time for you to join that ecosystem. Like you really need to research the, the marketplace and how much effort the company is putting into it. Do they have a big team around it? What's the technology? What's their timeline for it? Um, and then, you know, studying the competition. So there's a lot of different factors to think about when you're looking into which ecosystem and haven't even talked about the tech, like how, what's, um, what support do they provide there? Is it easy to develop an add-on? Can we take our add-on and easily 
um, kind of integrated with, with that ecosystem. So we've spent a lot of effort in the past few years to build a, um, to build a product that has the infrastructure that can be plugged into almost any ecosystem. Um, and I think that's key. Like you, you have to learn as well. Great. We make this product for Atlassian. Can we just unplug it from Jira and put it into any other, uh, any other solution? Or do you need to spend some time on the technology part of it to develop that part? There's a lot of factors to think about. I think a lot of our listeners would listen to this and be like, I'd like to be part of the Atlassian or Shopify or the Salesforce community. And there's 10,000 apps. How do I not drown in this? Like if there's any tangible like advice, how to stand out? I don't know. You, you shown up as Icelandic volcanoes on one of the user conferences. I think for a lot of people, it's they want to make this play and they do it and they end up in the bottom of the 25,000 apps on the store. And then it more or less dies there. Yep. I would even take it a step back of like, you just, you, you need to find a gap in the market. Because if you're solving a gap in the market, then yeah, your guerrilla marketing will work. Another uh, part would also just really focus on your brand too. Because if you have a, a problem that you solve and you're very clear in your messaging, it will make it a lot easier for your voice to be heard. And then just, you need to get um, customers, of course. And they are your, not just your source of revenue, of course, but getting their feedback too, both to evolve your product, but to get their reviews, because that's the strongest thing you can have is to say, these people are customers and this is what they like about our product. And once you have those three things, you have a, a problem that you're solving that no one else is solving or other people are solving badly. You are clear on your messaging, on your brand and what it is that you bring to people. And then you have some uh, references from customers that are already using your product. Then you can do the guerrilla marketing. Then you can do the bringing ashes from <laughs> volcano, volcanoes. <laughs> and people will remember that. And people do remember that. Like I meet te uh, people at events and they're like, oh, I still have your T-shirt. Or I remember when you brought the volcanic ash. And so those things stick with people, but they won't stick with people if you have a product that sucks or a product that can't be used. Um, so yeah, you, you need to do your homework and, and produce a good product and then you can sprinkle it with, uh, all the fun stuff, the, the Apple giveaways and the volcanic ash and the designer t-shirts and all that. That's, that's a great answer. And Thomas, maybe we should just copy and paste in, uh, because I was thinking Thomas that actually you should ask and we make this more personal because in your new gig, you're exactly going to try to do this to, to get you guys into the big commerce and whatnot. And, and maybe this would be a great opportunity to, you know, piggyback or, or uh, pick uh, Olaf's brain on how do, how do I become successful at my new gig? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was very excited about this episode. I am <laughs> happy to stay in touch as well uh, to, 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 yeah, to of course. talk more about how to penetrate those ecosystems and, uh, and be successful. But it, it was really great having you on the show Olaf and uh, we would love to talk to more Icelandic customers and I, I don't know if you have a tip for us of someone that you think we should try to get on the show. I would recommend that you talk to Controllant. They're an Icelandic software company that have been developing a solution to allow 
pharmaceuticals to be more securely shipped between countries. Um, they're very interesting and they have uh, been instrumental in moving the vaccine for the coronavirus. Uh, so they would be a very interesting company to look at. Okay. Olaf, thank you so much for sharing those insights with us. It was great to have you on the show. And we look forward to following your journey into the other ecosystems and we'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a pleasure to be here today. Yeah. Bye. See you around. So Daniel, what was your biggest takeaways from the episode? I'm always impressed about the Icelandic people and how they're great at everything. They're like the Germans and the Japanese. Uh, they're really good at everything and, and, and tempo. And Olof showed that here again. One of the biggest takeaways for me was when you're doing this type of a play into somebody else's ecosystem, it's not always the owner of the ecosystem that is the biggest ambassador. You got to get to, in this case, the system integrators. These are the ones speaking to the customers, recommending the solutions and the apps. So that for me was a big takeaway work on the entire community and not just the ecosystem owner. What was it for you, Thomas? Yeah, I think that's a great one. But uh, another one that struck me was that if you're going to move into a new ecosystem, there is some things that you should be looking at. And it's a huge benefit if you can be early and, and maybe be the first mover or at least have a far superior solution. So you should really look for that gap in the ecosystem. Um, and, and also another thing is to um, make sure that there is a maturity so your counterpart on the ecosystem side can give you the support you need in order to be successful. Yeah, it's clear. Done right, it, it could be a great play. Done incorrectly, it could be devastating. Yeah, it can be a waste of time and money. So, But it's definitely an interesting thing that, I mean, in today's world, in SaaS, there's so much about connectivity and you're always integrating with another solution. So I think this is a topic that is very much on um, a lot of companies' um, map, so to speak. And we're actually going to take a totally other angle on this in an upcoming episode where we're going to look from the ecosystem side instead. So um, stay tuned and we'll look it, into it from that side as well. But with that... Thank you for listening to uh, this week's episode and see you again in two weeks time.